Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And firstly, before I begin uh, this week's podcast, thank you very much to all the people that left a rating uh, or a review on uh, the, this podcast uh, last week per my request. Um, it certainly does help spread the word uh, and increases the podcast's ranking. So uh, if you haven't done that, uh, please uh, consider doing so. Uh, it would be of great assistance. Uh, okay, so let's get into this week's podcast then because a couple of years ago I wrote a blog slash did a podcast on just some simple, explaining some simple sort of share investing concepts and, and jargon, uh, and you can find a link to that one in the show notes. And it was quite a, a popular uh, podcast, in fact, and I thought I'd build on that sort of introductory information, uh, and I thought it was uh, particularly timely as well to discuss some uh, basic share market valuation principles. And I hope that this sort of background gives some context uh, to help people sort of decipher, uh, well, decipher or understand uh, what's going on in the marketplace at the moment, um, because certainly there is some sectors and companies that look very well priced uh, from an investment perspective, but then there's others that um, that really have no connection with reality. And so by understanding or having that valuation background, uh, just even some simple concepts, helps people kind of Uh, not only understand what's going on, but uh, hopefully make better decisions as well. Now, of course, I'm not advocating uh, direct share investing. Uh, In fact, there's an overwhelming amount of evidence that demonstrates direct share investing, which is picking stocks to invest in, fails to produce above market returns in the long run. But it's still useful uh, as an investor to understand these valuation principles. Okay, so before I get into those valuation principles, I want to discuss uh, something that is uh, taught at universities um, and is uh, common in lots of sort of financial texts, and it's called the efficient market hypothesis. And, uh, you know, it sort of dates back to the 1800s, but was more recently popularized in the 70s by Nobel laureate Professor Eugene Farmer. Um, and uh, and, and Farmer and his colleague French um, have actually developed a few different sort of models, texts, strategies, etc. Um, and uh, really, uh, I guess, laid the groundwork for the whole index investing methodology. Anyway, the efficient market hypothesis suggests that share prices always accurately, let me underline the word accurately, reflect all available information. So the idea is that the market is made up of thousands and in some cases perhaps millions of people that are analysing all the available information in relation to a particular company. Let's call it Apple. So how many people are analysing and considering Apple? Um, Many of them are professional managers uh, with lots of education experience that might be working somewhere in the vicinity of 40 to 80 hours a week looking at, at stocks. Apple, as I as I used in an example, um, uh, and uh, this analysis of all that available information helps inform their investment positions. Uh, so whether they're buying or selling the stock, and at what price to buy and sell, uh, and this process of price discovery by the market um, determines the stock's value. And so the efficient market hypothesis says that if 
Apple is trading at a particular value, that that is uh, fully reflective of what the broader market uh, thinks that Apple is worth. And, and so the, there's always fair pricing in the market. Now, my personal view of the efficient market hypothesis is that I think it's true over very long periods of time. So I think the market, um, uh, in fact, uh, I remember a quote by Warren Buffett. He says that um, in the short run, the market is a popularity contest. In the longer one, it's a, it's a weighing machine. You know, it goes to the fundamentals and so forth. Um, but in the short run, I think the efficient market hypothesis uh, isn't always true. It, it's, it's not always there. And in fact, that there's uh, likely to be inefficiencies in markets in the short run. And behavioral economics uh, explains uh, some of these, uh, some of the reasons why that this sort of irrationality occurs. And it could be driven by overconfidence, overreaction, overexuberance, greed, fear, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And if we remember early this year, the meme stocks behaviour, you know, um, over in the US, where um, uh, people on Reddit were trying to drive up or down prices of particular stocks. Uh, that, that's a perfect example and a very recent example of how uh, the market can be inefficient um, uh, in the shorter term. And this is why it's useful to understand basic uh, valuation principles so that you can get a sense of whether the market at a particular time is being rational or irrational. Okay, so what I wanted to discuss next was, um, before I get into sort of valuation multiples and you know, how to uh, assess uh, listed shares, I, I want to give a bit of background uh, in, re in relation to what drives business value and how do you value a business, um, which is you're not going to do this necessarily, well, you're not going to do this at all really with listed stocks, but it gives you a, a good sense of the fundamentals and why some businesses uh, are valued at stupid multiples or uh, stupid values. But essentially, the value of any business is the present value of its future cash flows. So to calculate that, you need to uh, forecast the business's free cash flows, which is free cash flows is really, you know, the money coming in from sales, less expenses and taxes and, wh and whatever then you've got left over. Uh, and then you've got to apply a discount rate to uh, discount it back in today's dollars. Uh, and that discount rate has to be reflective of the business's risk. So what would an investor demand in terms of a return if they were to invest in this business. So if it's a very risky business, for example, maybe that's 30%. If it's a really safe business, maybe it's 7%. But the discount rate means that the value, the higher the discount rate, that means that the, the value of future dollars is less today because I need, I'm demanding such a high return. So I've got a simple worked example uh, on the blog on the website. Uh, that looks at a, a business that has contracted revenue for the next five years, that's going to generate $100 of free cash flow each year for the next five years, apply a discount rate uh, to each of those years, uh, and then add up the, the, you know, the aggregate value of the cash flows. And really, that's how you uh, value a business. So if a business isn't going to generate any free cash flow, then the business doesn't have any value. Um, that, that's just reality and basic sort of valuation principles. Anyway, I won't go through the worked example here because it's a little bit confusing, very numbers heavy if you like. Uh, but if you want to look, look in more detail, uh, refer to the uh, blog on the website. And of course, there's links in the show notes. 
Okay, so there's uh, now you're not going to always do a discounted cash flow uh, valuation for a listed company, partly because there's probably not enough information, and secondly, uh, because it's a too time consuming and complex uh, way to value a business. So the shortcut method then is to apply uh, valuation multiples. So you take earnings and multiply it by number, or sales and multiply it by number, and that gives you a kind of rule of thumb, if you like, uh, to give you a, a, a sort of sense or a feel for you know how a business is valued. You know whether it's fairly valued, undervalued, or overvalued. And there's um, three multiples, three common multiples that you can use. Uh, that that are common um, when, when looking at sort of stock valuations, and so I'll explain them, and then I'll give you a, a, an example of how you how I would apply uh, these uh, th- this approach. So the first one is a, a price earnings ratio. So it looks at uh, the the price of the stock um, versus the earnings per share. Um, so if if you've got a stock that's valued at a hundred dollars and it's only earning one dollar per share then the P ratio is 100 times, which means that you're paying 100 times one year's worth of earnings for that stock, uh, which means that you've got to hold on to that stock for 100 years just to get your money back. Uh, or hopefully what you're hoping is, in fact, the earnings are going to increase. And in fact, uh, you're not hoping, uh, you're putting your money on the fact that they're going to increase. And if they don't, uh, you're going you're gonna to wear that loss. Um, uh, so that's really how the PE ratio works. If you look at sort of longer term PE ratios, say over the last 20 years, uh, in the US markets, about 26 times, 26, uh, a PE of 26 is, is average. Uh, and over in the Australian market, it's about 18 times, uh, mainly because the, the big difference here between the US and the Aussie market is that the Aussie market pays out more dividends. So it has less money to reinvest. Uh, whereas the U.S. market uh, isn't as focused on dividends uh, as the Australian market, so uh, companies might not pay out a lot of their profitability, instead reinvest it in, in their businesses, um, and that's why they're generating higher multiples. The U.S. market currently is trading at a PE uh, of 34 times. Remember, 26 is the long-term average uh, over the last 20 years. Uh, and the Australian market, 29 times. Uh, again, compare that to 18 uh, times uh, in terms of longer term. Uh, so it's, but that's probably elevated due to a couple of uh, factors. The first one is um, earnings have probably been temporarily uh, impacted, negatively impacted by COVID. Uh, so we're looking at a, a lower earnings per share number, um, which probably you know, isn't, isn't reflective. We should be using what's called a forward PE, uh, which is based on forward earnings uh, and not historic earnings. And, um, and secondly, uh, valuations are elevated. So PE is good because what you're really looking at is the profitability of the business or you're taking into account the profitability of the business compared to its overall value. Uh, the next uh, multiple is price sales ratio. Uh, so again, what you're looking at is uh, the the value of the stock versus uh, sales per share, um, and typically it's used in businesses that either are quite young um, and are seeking scale. So they're not yet making any money, but their growth is significant, and they think that the business is going to grow to such a, a huge extent that it will eventually become profitable and drive, um, a, you know, a lot of derive a lot of profit. 
Um, so obviously one of the shortcomings of the price-sales ratio is that it doesn't have any regard to the business's profitability. And in fact, you could be then uh, investing in a business that doesn't in fact make any profit, um, which isn't a bad idea in of itself. Uh, of course, there's some businesses like uh, Google that didn't make money at the beginning, but now are uh, making a lot of money. You've just got to really work out whether the stock that you're looking at is the next Google or um, will eventually just uh, die a slow death. Uh, and the last one is price-book ratio, um, which looks at the net asset value of the balance sheet per share compared to the price per share. Um, now, that's going to be a good uh, a good ratio for some businesses like financials, so banks and so forth, for example, their balance sheet uh, is very relevant to the overall value and performance. Um, but if you're looking at a tech company, for example, where they might have a lot of intangible assets that aren't actually reflected on their balance sheet, the price book ratio is not going to be that helpful. Um, so the PE ratio is probably the most common. Uh, now, what is what are some of the factors that influence the PE ratio? So how do you know if you, if you think, well, the market um, average is, let's say, 20, um, should I dial that up or down depending on the type of business that I'm looking at? And there's really only two factors that influences a, um, a company's uh, valuation ratio or, or PE ratio, if you like, and it's just risk or growth. So risk really is about how likely is the business going to produce the results that I expect. So if you have a business, you know, the example, the worked example of, that I used in the discounted cash flow example earlier on in this podcast, where the business was going to generate $100 uh, each year of free cash flow, um, and that was contracted revenue, and that's contracted revenue with the government. Well, the risk is very low, right? It's contracted revenue, it's guaranteed, it's there. Uh, whereas if it's, a, if it's a startup business that actually doesn't have any runs on the board, um, hasn't proven their product yet, then it's a very high-risk business. So the lower the risk, the higher the multiple. The higher the risk, the lower the multiple. Um, because obviously, uh, investors don't want to pay such a high valuation if there's a lot of risk. You know, if, it, if it's really uncertain what the results look like, I'm not going to um, pay a really high valuation multiple, which is, um, you know, I'll go through a, a few examples, but isn't, um, uh, you, you can observe in this market very high risk businesses that are trading at very high multiples, and it doesn't make sense. The second element is growth. So obviously, if I'm investing in a really high growth business, um, you know, I'm going to be prepared to pay more because obviously its value will um, increase significantly over the you know, next period of time um, and uh, there's plenty of returns for investors. Whereas if I'm investing in a really mature business that really doesn't have a lot of growth prospects, um, think like Telstra, for example, it's a very mature business, it's not a high growth business, no matter how much they try and talk it up to be or, or, or pivot to be, it really is a very mature business. Uh, well, uh, lower growth businesses attract lower multiples uh, and the reverse is true as well. Okay, so that gives you a bit of background on what is the value of a business. Really, it's the present value of its future cash flows. We can't necessarily do that because it's too complex. So we use then valuation multiples. So now what I wanted to do is give you uh, an overview of how I would then approach looking at a stock uh, and then go through an example. I'm going I'm to pick Woolworths, the supermarket business in Australia, as the example. Uh, so the first thing I would think about is look at the PE ratio. 
of the particular stock. I would consider what its PE ratio is compared to historic levels. So where is it been trading at um, over the last 10 years, 20 years, for example? I would compare it to its peer companies. um, And then I would compare it to the market in general. And that will give me a relatively good idea, first off, about um, you know where it's trading uh, in terms of fair value or, or above or below fair value. Next thing I would look at is the profitability and dividends. You know I would look at historic cash flow, um, revenue, profitability, and the dividends it's been paying out. And what I want to see is um, not a lot of volatility, hopefully, uh, because that then suggests that it's a, a strong business. You know that that's able to deliver on results and so forth. Uh, if there's not a, a long history of profitability or if there's a lot of volatility, um, then that just means it's a higher risk business and I want to pay a lower multiple for that. And then lastly, I'd, I'd consider its financial position and strength. So really, how much cash does it have on the balance sheet? What is it? What is its overall debt exposure? And has uh, debt increased or decreased over recent periods of time? Again, that'll, that'll tell me a lot about, I mean, that the strength of a company's balance sheet um, is a good symptom of uh, a good business. Uh, so, you know, that again, that'll speak to the underlying risk of the business. So, as I said, let's have a look at an example then and we apply this to Woolworths. Um, so, Woolworths is currently trading on a PE of 32 times, um, you know, which is uh, higher than the overall market, uh, which, is, which is a concern for a business that is a supermarket business. So, I would say it's high turnover, very low margin, probably not a lot of growth. Um, And, you know, it is a relatively mature sort of business. If you look at Coles, Coles, probably its best PR or comparable company, uh, is trading on a PE of 22 and a half times. So a lot lower than um, Woolworths. And if you look at another business called Metcash, who runs, uh, they run IGA supermarkets, they're trading on a PE of only 16 times, so half that of uh, Woolworths. So it certainly shows that Woolworths is trading on a high PE relative to the market and relative to its peers and also relative to its uh, history as well. Historically, it's traded around about 20 times PE. Um, if you look at uh, Woolworth sales, cash flow, dividends and so forth, it's been very stable over the last four years. So it certainly shows mature business, lower risk, uh, and also has a very strong um, uh, balance sheet and it has low and uh, low external debt uh, and it's been reducing debt uh, over the last few years as well. So that certainly suggests it's a lower risk business. So I can certainly understand why it would be trading above 20 times PE um, but maybe not above uh, 30 times PE. So if you have a if you if you sort of weigh all those things up, maybe you would expect a PE ratio of somewhere between 18 to 24 times. And so based on uh, forward earnings, its share price should be trading at sort of maybe high twenty dollars, twenty eight, twenty nine dollars, sort of around that mark. Uh, it's currently trading at thirty nine dollars. So it certainly appears overvalued. So that gives you, a, I guess, a, a good example of how you might look at a particular stock, uh, consider some numbers at a, a very high level, and it gives you an indication. It's by no means an absolute uh, measure, but it certainly gives you an indication of how to look at stocks and, and where the risk is and so forth. Now, if you apply those valuation metrics to 
I mean, I'll handpick to just a few stocks in the Australian market and the international market, and you can start to see how ridiculous some of these valuations are. So, for example, the the accounting uh, software provider Zero uh, is trading on a PE of a thousand times. That means that either earnings have to multiply, you know, maybe by a hundred or five hundred times to where they are today, or you've got to hold that stock for a thousand years before you get your money back. Uh, REA Group, which uh, operates the realestate.com.au, is trading on a PE of 60 times. Uh, Certainly, obviously, the market is anticipating a lot of growth from that business. 60 times is a big price to pay for a business. Uh, Afterpay, uh, who recently uh, was trying to sell to a a US business, um, is valued at $37 billion and lost uh, about $160 million last year. So, uh, it's and it's never made a profit. So remember, the value of a business is its future cash flows. Well, you know that business uh, hasn't made any hasn't made any money. So it's certainly a high risk proposition. Um, if we go overseas now into the U.S. market, Uber's worth a hundred billion dollars and lost over nine billion dollars last year. Uh, it's never made a profit. Tesla, a bit of a darling of the market, is worth over a trillion Australian dollars. Uh, and is trading on a PE of 400 times. So you can certainly see some really you know, high-growth businesses out there or, or what are purporting to be high-growth businesses um, that are really uh, trading at multiples and levels that have no relationship with reality. And it's fine to invest in high-growth businesses. And I appreciate that high-growth businesses will attract higher, tend to attract higher valuation metrics. But there's no point paying such a high price today that you're almost prepaying for every bit of future growth that might transpire. And, as, and so long as that future growth or if that future growth doesn't transpire exactly how you hope it will, then you'll be, you, you'll, you'll be the investor wearing the loss. So it's great. Tesla might end up being a great company, but if I pay 400 times uh, earnings now, what, what needs to happen to that business you know, over the next 20 years for me to get my money back? Uh, you know, just it's very risky. It, it doesn't seem logical, and it certainly flies in the face of that efficient market hypothesis. Clearly, the market's not efficient at this point in time. So, anyway, I, I think this background uh, sort of concepts and knowledge, introductory knowledge to sort of market valuations, help you better understand. You know, what is what looks like a good investment, what is not a good investment. Um, and the reality is that, you know, there's lots of analysts out there that spend their entire working life analysing companies to find investment opportunities. Um, but it also is um, factual that the vast majority of them fail to beat the market over the long run. So a superior investment, share investment strategy is obviously to use a rules-based approach. And these tend to offer a lot of diversification uh, with very low cost. And you can incorporate a sort of factor-based methodology to allow you to avoid investing in these overvalued sort of sectors or companies within the market uh, to really help reduce your portfolio risk and I think in the longer run uh, generate better returns. Anyway, I hope that's been uh, useful as a way of background and until next week, bye for now.